With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Pour one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Podcast John Miller along with Rob Howie record this on the 29th day of November. When November came and went, Rob, in November, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Would you say November is probably the biggest workload of the year for you? Um, yeah, yeah, without without a doubt. Yep, and uh, it was a crazy month just (laughs) in Iowa football and men's basketball, without a doubt. Very strange, different, different every year, but this one was particularly strange. So was Ohio State in this month? Yep. So you have a, an all-time historic win at, against Ohio State. Back-to-back football games that showed a level of offensive futility that would make one be reminded of like the year Ferentz took over at Iowa. And then you end it with uh, an historic win relative to the Nebraska football history and tradition and certainly the series over the Cornhuskers. So, yeah, that was strange. Let's start with the Nebraska game. I um, Iowa didn't play a very good football team. They might have played one of the four worst teams in the league. and But it was a Nebraska team that had gone over to Purdue and won. And um, But it was also a Nebraska team that in the second half, when Iowa began to exert its will a little bit in the third quarter, it looks like they were waving the white flag. I was encouraged from a standpoint, Rob, that I saw Iowa employing numerous different offensive line blocking philosophies out there. It wasn't just the inside zone and the outside zone. Iowa did start the game with that, but then they mixed in some power O. They mixed in gap uh, gap assignment. They mixed in counters. They, they And then they actually ran some plays late in the third quarter and early fourth quarter where they were running. It looked like a zone look, but James Daniels and Tristan Wirfs immediately went to the second level to cut off linebackers pursuing on the backside of that 3-4. So I, I thought that was one of the more imaginative 
competitive scheme games that we'd seen all year, at least from an offensive line blocking standpoint. And I really hope that's a sign to come in the future because all Iowa needs to do is run 10 to 15 plays a game that are non-zone just to keep defenses honest and not flying to the zone flow. Yeah, I would agree with you. It was it was good to see some variation there. I'm wondering where that came from, if that was Polishek, if that was the, the, the big guy, the big kahuna. Uh, Brian Ferentz, my guess is probably all three were involved in that, and maybe uh, the the Ferentz family kind of nudged things that way, um, just from a perspective of their offensive line expertise. And that's not to take anything away from Polishek. It just seemed like uh, they needed a little bit of a variation there. And I thought that I thought the running backs and the fullbacks really did a nice job too in that game. They I I watched a little bit of it again today, and they did a nice job picking up the blitz and taking out line backers and i think they were all kind of it was it was kind of a fluid um it was a fluid game on that side of the ball and and defensively i thought they did enough in terms of you know sending some guys from different angles that they hadn't done a lot this year that to you know to I don't think they had to fear the rush much with Nebraska because they just haven't run the football well. Um, and they knew they had to put some pressure on Tanner Lee, and they were able to do that um, not only from a four-man standpoint because Anthony Nelson played really well, but also uh, mixing in some blitz there as well. And Josie, Josie was Josie. He was. Do you – you know, I, I can't remember where I heard this because uh, I'd like to give them credit, but – I heard somebody, maybe it was Mark Morehouse on with Ken Miller, saying that it's Josie Jewell and Bob Sanders as the two best defensive players in the Kirk Ferentz era. Bob Sanders is going to be on everybody's uh, top two list for sure. I think you can make a very strong case for Josie Jewell. Uh, That was was a stellar career and what a senior season. Yeah, his body of work, I mean, the first three-year captain in the history of the program, it says a lot just about the type of – kid he is and and you know the type of leader he is and you know you couple that with his ability on the field and it's a a pretty special um product that you have and and uh, you know he's watching that game again today and just kind of you don't even need to focus on him he makes you focus on him he he makes himself you know uh the center of attention just because of the way he plays and it's just you know, 100 miles an hour all the time, and and but it's controlled as well, which is just so impressive. And I agree with you. Bob Sanders is kind of the standard. He was the the program changer, um, but Josie's right there with him, and and uh, leaves an incredible legacy. Yep, he really does, and we'll have a good amount of time to talk about that here in the off season. Um, Nice to see Akram Wadley be able to go out with the type of game that we felt might be a little more representative of his senior season. He did top 1,000 yards. I was really kind of shocked to to learn on Saturday that Akram's just the fourth Iowa running back in school history to have back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Uh, Cedric Shaw, Liddell Betts, Albert Young. Or not, not sorry, uh, Fred Russell, and then Akron Wadley, not Albert. Albert would have if he not didn't get hurt. But were you, are you surprised it's only four? Yeah, I am. I mean, I knew that going in, and from reading the notes all year, as you know, he was getting closer to that. Um, but it is interesting, and I think you have to wonder about that. You know, the end of the last decade, beginning of this decade, with that group of guys that went through injuries and and the attrition that happened, whether it be mm-hmm. Coker or right. Wagner. Adam Robinson 
had there may there may have been another one in that groups at some point, but um, still just over the you know you consider the length of or how long this program has been around to only have four guys do that that's pretty special. Yep, no doubt about that. Uh, Noah Fant, how about that getaway speed that he showed? I mean, he had another drop in this game, and I, I really think it kind of dawned on me watching this game. You know, Fant has had some drop issues this year, but I saw him running a couple of routes in this game that I, I just know that he can be a better route runner than what he's showing. He's one of those guys that has so much – he has an athleticism edge compared to the type of players who are generally going to be covering him, be it a, a safety or a linebacker, that I think he can get away with just being physically better than other people. So he hasn't necessarily had to focus on being um, a clean tactician when it relates, relates to route running. And I think that when you really focus on running better routes, crisper routes, and not running these banana cuts out there, I, I just think guys have a tendency to focus more and be be better at making the makeables. And I, I, I think that's really the, that and a little more strength to, to be a better blocker is all that's keeping him between maybe pushing Dallas Clark for the best tight end that they've had come through here. Yeah, he certainly has that potential and that, you know, the the pattern that he ran when he got loose for the deep ball, not the one that he outran everybody, but just the kind of the deep pattern. Uh, I think that was at the beginning of the third quarter. Yeah. Maybe second touchdown of the third quarter i mean he just blew by everybody linebackers defensive backs um and just got himself you know to that to the to the deep part of the field with with nobody on him and i i still think there's a lot of different things he can do um like you said that he hasn't even shown yet you know so they can use him in some different ways that they haven't even been haven't shown yet and um uh, I, I was I was worried when he dropped that pass early that oh no mm-hmm. is, is that going to affect him the rest of the game and I think it showed maturity that he bounced back from that and and everybody bounced back from that and and they were able to put it together against a really man a, I never thought I would see Nebraska's defense like that but having watched that game and then watched them against Wisconsin and Ohio State that was at a and that's not to take anything away from either any of those teams but man. That is really a falling off the cliff type of uh, dive with that program on defense. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's as bad as we, you know, some Nebraska fans might think that year where the Kansas put up a, a seventy burger on it might have been the low point, but you know they hadn't been four and eight since nineteen sixty one, and at no point in time is that in that program's history have they allowed four opponents to score 50 or more on them in the same season which happened this year and i believe in nebraska's last three was it last three opponents scored 50 on them or something along those lines i, I can't recall i mean the negative uh it's not superlatives but you know the the negatives this year have been pretty amazing of course they fired mike riley and and all indications are that scott frost is going to be named their next coach uh probably i would guess even on saturday uh in may happen um so not a surprise there and you know the local boy comes home so we'll see what type of improvements he can make you know we'll no. probably, go ahead <laughs> No pressure there. Well, I mean, he's going into the fire. I mean, they they expect him to be the savior. I know he's going to get well paid, but boy, that's a lot of pressure. 
It is, and 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 sometimes it's even more pressure because you're the homeboy. I mean, Dace, right. Dace often talks like, well, he's going to be Nebraska's Fred Hoiberg. People are going to go out of their way to do things for him that they wouldn't do for other people, and give him some. I, you know, I think there's a, a two sides to that. I mean, there's an immense amount of pressure, and and he was there when things are rolling, and and what he's coming back to is nothing like what it was, and really. The, the 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 thing that I'm most shocked about and the most work that they have to do is just toughness at the line of scrimmage. This is Definitely. this is a program whose offensive line has just been lost for five, six, seven years. Um they they haven't they haven't been the bullies really at all. And on the defensive line, I mean Iowa's Iowa's offensive line in the third quarter was pushing Nebraska's defensive line back five yards regularly. And that was with two freshman tackles um mixed in there. So he he definitely has a big task ahead of him and it's probably gonna be the third year or so before he has an opportunity to kind of change that culture, I would think. Uh, quite a, quite right. a few of those kids are up front, and, and I agree with you. I think that's where it has to start for them. He, Frost needs to hire a really good offensive line and defensive line coach um, and coach those guys up and get them get that mentality back. And a lot of those kids Iowa recruited, um, and they have not developed there, and I think that's a big part of the issue. They are, they're not ready-made, and, and I think maybe – um, Tom Osborne and uh, you know the staffs that he had, they, they had really good skill players, but I don't think they get enough credit for what they were able to do on right. on, on their lines, and um, that's been missing. That's been the biggest thing missing from Nebraska football. Absolutely, you know we'll have more time to break this down in greater detail. Obviously, the bowl game is going to factor into this, but when you kind of look back on this Iowa season. You know, is is there a word that comes to mind for you? I mean, it wasn't satisfying to me. It was almost, I mean, I would probably use expected. Uh, I, I thought the offense was going to be wildly inconsistent. I was very concerned uh, with, as were you, with what Iowa had at wide receiver. I think both of those things played out. We had no idea that Iowa was going to be down it's two bookend tackles who were three-year starters and fifth-year seniors. I, I think that's the single biggest factor that kept Iowa from winning eight, maybe even nine games this season, uh, which I, I don't think you can overlook. And people can sit here and say, no excuses. I'm sorry. It's a pretty big excuse when you go from two fifth-year senior, three-year starters at tackle and you're starting freshmen. Um, but, you know, that's some development that they'll have for the future. Any words come to, your, come to mind when you think about this season at least the regular season i had seven and five but i was i wasn't real accurate on the games (laughs) you know the individual game per per game coming into the year and i I think just the the things you hit on were our ag you know that's what we talked about you know early in the season was you know these would be the hot spots or the the areas of of concern i just think the the um, discrepancy between what they were able to do against Ohio State and Nebraska compared to wh- how bad they looked in some of those other games, I think was the puzzling, I think is is part of it. And, and, and I think a lot of us have racked our brains or, you know, th- thought about a lot why. Um, and maybe there are just, just too many things that play into it when it's that 
when there's that when it's that polarized when it's on that end opposite ends of the spectrum um to to really explain and and i think a lot of it has to do with youth and as you said the tackles and a first year quarterback and i think especially earlier in the year defensive um, coordinators were just they were having a field day confusing Stanley, Stanley and, and showing him different things and I think mm-hmm. he got better at that as the season went on um, but I, I just it, it was a strange year um, and, and one I think we'll look back at and say man what could have been if, if a few things you know fell the other way um, but overall I, I think if they can win the bowl game which, which is a huge deal I think that gives them momentum going into next year and it gets people feeling good about next season. If they go and lay an egg in the bowl game again, mm-hmm. I think that's not only a, a, a psychological hit for the fan base and creates, you know, maybe more apathy that that's there now, that's already there now and increasing. Um, but I, I think it's, it, it, it weighs on the, it weighs on the players and the coaches too. I, and talking to Sean Welch after the Nebraska game and asking him, excuse me how how important the bowl game is he said you know i've got four bowl rings and they're all in losses and and i think it weighs on those guys so this bowl game it had they none of they're not huge and i don't think they they necessarily impact the following year but i think this one has more significance for iowa Mm -hmm. i don't disagree with any of that and it does have a great deal of significance and and i do think the outcome of that one game can mean the difference between a nine months of fan-based malaise or okay you know things maybe things are pointing in the right direction and you know you talk about looking you know maybe at some point in time in a few years you look back on this year and say boy that was so close what could have been you know that'll depend a lot about what happens next year iowa has a very favorable schedule as we've all talked about often i i I firmly believe that kirk ferentz and brian ferentz would both like for brian to be his successor and I think in order for that to happen, they probably got to win around 20 games over the course of the next two years combined. And they and it needs to start with a big wow year next year because the table is set. Um, I absolutely think that the floor for next year should be eight wins. Uh, and I think that that would be mildly disappointing if they only got to eight unless there were just devastating injuries all across the board. And it was patently obvious. And, and some people are going to say, well, why would you know, the, the schedule? The schedule is much softer. Iowa returns everyone except uh, Budgeta on the defensive line, and he had a good season. But you're talking about a lot of underclassmen who are still growing physically. I mean, A.J. Epinesa has yet to have an offseason with Chris Doyle, which is pretty amazing. Tristan Wirfs on the other side hasn't. I added it up, Rob, uh, Rob and if you look at – you know, the, like maybe the projected offensive line starters, they'll return 49 starts. James Daniels, I think, will be back. Um, Tristan Wirfs, he seven, eight starts. Uh, Jackson will have 13 starts. Keegan Render, I think, had 12 starts this year and will have 13 after the bowl game. And Ross Reynolds, uh, he even had a start. And I think one of the Paulsons had a start last year. So there's definitely good things to work with there. I really wish we would have seen more of Torin Young this year and more of Ivory. I love how hard both of those guys run. And, yeah, it's easy to run hard when you're late in the game, you're excited, and you're in maybe against a beat-up or worn-down team. 
But I really think that these two guys complement one another a lot the way that LaShun Daniels and Akram Wadley did. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it. So, And I think that if, if they do hit that height next year, maybe a 10-win season, I haven't gone through my predictions just yet. We'll probably wait about seven months for that. <laughs> um, I, I think that you can look back on this year maybe in a way that you look back on the 2001 season in that that was a team that went 7-5. and five. I think four of the five losses came by seven or six points or less, and the other loss that was, I think it was a nine-point loss to Purdue, was their worst loss that year. The average margin of uh, defeat was less than a touchdown. And then the next year they took off and had a great year. So that would be the extreme optimistic viewpoint. Yeah, and we still have a lot of things to play out, obviously. Um, and I know that's why you're waiting, going to wait seven months for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I obviously, the, you know, the three line losing the three linebackers, and and I, I've got a feeling Josh Jackson's going. I don't have any information on that. Just kind of and asking him about it. Um, it, it unless. He really loves Iowa, and he gets a you know a poor some poor feedback from the NFL that he's you know a, a second day pick or something like that. Um, I guess second day is now the second round, but um, you know I think if he's going if he if he can go in the first couple rounds, he probably should go, um, and then probably will go. Um, so if you're replacing him and the three linebackers, that's a, those are significant losses on the defensive side of the ball. But having said that, I feel better about filling holes on defense than I do on offense. It just seems like offense here, um, that continuity and experience is more important than it is on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's the, and, and the defense seems more of a constant than the offense with this program. Um, and then the punting thing needs to be figured out. I don't know how you fix that, whether you look for another graduate transfer or junior college or you just put your eggs in the basket of Rastetter and Gersande and say, hey, I hope they get better during the offseason. To me, that's a significant area that needs to improve this offseason um, because it, it hurt them. I, I would I would venture to guess in, a, in at least three of the losses played a, or maybe four played a significant role. So those are some areas that they definitely need to sure up that the, the schedule will be easier this year or next year um you get wisconsin early i think i think that is what made the first or first one of the big first big 10 game it is the first big 10 game so that's and that's the that's the hurdle john right now you got to clear wisconsin wisconsin has has take 15 away and i know that was you, you can't throw it was that a away fluke. It was it, it, but it but they won the division and they you know beat Wisconsin that year and that was kind of the the outlier though this decade they need to overcome Wisconsin however that may be um, and if they don't do it again next year then it becomes more of an albatross right and when I say it was a fluke I was referring to Iowa's 10-6 win against Wisconsin in 2015 that I mean Wisconsin was knocking on the door likely to put it out of reach they had the ball at the one yard line and they fumbled and Iowa recovered and they won and that's great so that's what uh, I was referring to with a fluke, not the 2015 season. So fun things. Um, anything else you want to touch on with football? I mean, saw that uh, James Franklin may have paid a visit to a Iowa quarterback target, Max Dugan, uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, and as we're doing this, uh, as we're doing the podcast, 
he just tweeted that the Vanderbilt coaches were in and he got a Vanderbilt offer. He, he's going to continue to, to get a, you know, receive a lot of attention. Um, Iowa, I believe was in today. Um, but you know, he's going to have a lot of traffic coming through council bluffs, Lewis central. And, uh, I would think that he'll probably make a decision sometime in the spring or the summer. Uh, most, most of the times, as you know, John, the quarterbacks like to, Mm -hmm. to be one of the first in the class. So, and then they help recruit the rest of the class, but, uh, he's going to have some great offers. He's got Georgia, you know, as you said, Penn state, um, I'm sure the new Nebraska coaches will be all over it. Scott Frost will probably make one of his first stops in his, in that high school. So, um, um, tough competition here, but Iowa was one of the first offers for for Max Dugan, and uh, you know they're, they're, he knows he's visited multiple times, and, and they put their best foot forward. And uh, I've got a, a, a note on our, our Hawkeye Extra Board, HN Extra Board, uh, about the quarterback situation going into next year that people can check out. So they need to add some quarterbacks. Um, it's uh, there's a good chance that next year. Um, it will be Stanley, uh, Peyton Manziel, and, and if they bring in an 2018 quarterback as the three scholarship guys uh, going into next season. Not surprising uh, whatsoever. I think expected. So no doubt about yeah, it. Out on here. Wiggers, I didn't realize this. Wiggers graduates next month. Yeah. I mean, so he's a great – he can be a grad transfer. I mean, I, I fully expected that to happen. I mean, I so would have been shocked. I, I could see him leaving in January. So then that's sure. – you know, you're a guy down. And then Boyle graduates in April. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Well. Um, so I – if I had to put money down, I think both of those guys will be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Boyle will have two years. Uh, at the school of his choice, Wiggers will have one. Um, but I, you take, you know, and I know people will come and say these guys, you know, they didn't stick it out and they're not team. But they have a short life expectancy as as college football players, and and the quarterback position is what it is. I mean, there's one guy that plays for the most part, unless you got a a mess on your hands. And uh, by all account, by by all appearances, it looks like Stanley's going to be the quarterback barring injury the next two years. So if you're those guys, you got you know you look for an opportunity to maybe play for a year or two somewhere else. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I will, I, if that happens, I would certainly wish him well and, and wouldn't blame him. Um, wouldn't blame him one bit. You know, I don't think that they have a quarterback uh, in this class committed at this point in time in the 2018 class. Is there anybody out there that I'm not thinking of or that they might get a commitment from, do you think? or No, they um, they they uh, came up short on a couple of kids. Will Levis said they thought they had, and he ended up visiting Penn State, right. getting an all and committing um and then a few other guys that uh they they missed on they offered um matthew uh baldwin a quarterback out of texas yesterday i believe ken o'keefe was down there um he's committed to colorado state pro style quarterback um but ohio state offered him earlier this month Mm. Um, I'm not sure what Ohio State's quarterback depth chart looks like. I'm sure it's probably not hurting. Um, so you always can factor factor that into you know the kid looks and says, ah, where do I have the best chance to play? As we talk about guys that are you know thinking about leaving the Iowa program, um, it's not always cut and dry. But um, you know if Ohio State pushes hard, it's hard to think that Iowa will will beat them for the kid. But uh, they're also looking at a kid from Minnesota. Um, but I got to think. They're aware of what's going on with, you know, with Wiggers and Boyle. 
Um, even if they haven't been told outright, they, they know what the landscape is and they've got to get somebody in this class. Ryan Schmidt is a walk on, um, I believe he's a redshirt freshman this year. He's traveled a couple times this year and, uh, um, is dressed for the home games. Um, he's from, I think from Linmore high school. Um, so he's also on the roster, but it, it, yeah, it's prudent for them to, to, uh, add another quarterback in this 18 class to, to have a third guy on the roster. Yeah, I mean, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, he filled in for JT Barrett this weekend against Michigan, and he's a redshirt freshman, so he's getting he's getting an audition. He may get more of an audition this weekend uh, if Barrett can't go or is too nicked up. So, um, man, th- this is something, Rob, I was just eager to segue into every time I could during the summer, and, and now it it's bringing up pain, Iowa basketball. Um, oh, real quick. Before we go, Josie, if you mentioned it, I apologize. Josie Jewell, uh, Josh Jackson, first team all Big Ten. On the offensive side, Sean Welch, I think, was third, second team or third team. Akron was third team. And uh, was Noah Fant third team? Is that how it went? Uh, Welsh was first team, actually, first team. On, okay. on media, second okay. on coaches. Fant and Wadley were third on both. Um, and I think James Daniels and Nate Stanley were honorable mention on offense. Fant just didn't have the the name value, and, and to be honest, you know his ten touchdown passes. That's pretty amazing in a season. It's the most ever by a tight end in one season. He's only what two away from the career mark for uh, tight ends. But you know he had 116 of his yards this last game of the year against Nebraska. So I can kind of see that he's his day is uh, going to come. I think uh, a lot of those guys, having done the votes before. Some quite often those guys send them in before Thanksgiving, so there's a chance that they didn't even see uh, Fant's game on Friday, so that may have hurt him a little bit as well. Iowa lost uh, as we record this last night to Virginia Tech, seventy nine fifty five. It was a entertaining first half, actually thirty eight all at halftime. Uh, it was forty three to forty with just under eighteen minutes to go in the game when Tyler Cook got his third foul and went to the bench and by the time he came in back in it was like fifty two to forty. Iowa still hadn't scored. I think there was a stretch in the second half, Rob, where Iowa was one of twenty two one of its last twenty two from the floor. That was a painful game. Um unfortunately I think the last couple of weeks maybe a little bit of a harbinger of what may come. And I'm really kind of irritated with myself because I know better. I mean, I, I say this all the time and have for years. College basketball is a guards game. This summer, I did say my biggest concern is that Iowa may be a guard short. Well, then Christian Williams transfers. Uh, you know, Connor McCaffrey can't play. And neither of those guys is, is you know, going to make any Big Ten team shake in the knees. But they can at least help Jordan Bohannon get a break and sometimes allow Jordan Bohannon to go over and play the two, which is what I think that he is naturally. As it stands now, Jordan Bohannon is going to play too many minutes. He is. What did he play last night? Uh, Joe Bo last night, 36. And I think that would probably be about wow. his average this year. Yeah, that's, that's, he's going to wear down. He's going to wear down. Can't do that. But you know what? They don't have a point guard. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? 
Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers, whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere, guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. They don't have a point guard. Um, Brady Ellingson hasn't hit a shot since like the middle of the month. Hasn't hit a three since... And if he's not hitting threes, he's a liability. Because pretty much all he can do is hit threes. He's not a good. He's not a even even defender. He's a minus defender. At least Josh, Josh Oglesby was a plus defender. Um, they've got a guard problem, Rob, and unfortunately that guard problem can't be corrected until the off season. I, I think they need to get a grad transfer or a JUCO transfer point guard in for next year. Wieskamp's going to be great, but he's not a point guard either. Yeah, and they don't have any scholarships available because they, no, they do. don't right now. Didn't didn't, yeah. didn't didn't Fran refer to Brady Ellington as a senior back in uh, in October? Um, that may have been in the I'm trying to think Europe. if that was yeah it, yeah it was definitely it may have been um, before they went on their the foreign trip I can't remember but yeah you're right he did and uh, yeah so there's a chance that a scholar could open up there um, I would almost yeah. wager on it yeah and. Um, yeah, I mean, you watched last night, and I really like Jordan Bohannon and what he brings. Um, he, he's he's still um, a liability at times on defense, um, but you you saw that was it just, was it Robinson Justin Robinson the the point guard for Virginia Tech, um, whoever their point guard was, he was doing what Iowa needs, and that's breaking down a defense off mm-hmm. a dribble ball movement, you know, getting, get, you know, work getting into the lane and kicking it out, doing different things like that, um, that Iowa just doesn't have right now. Um, they don't even have, you know, like a Devin Marble type that can create off the dribble. Um, and Moss last night, I don't know what was going on, but I mean, he tried to, to dribble drive a few times and just turn the ball over. Out of um, control. Yeah. They really need him to be more consistent. They need, as you talked about with, the lack of depth at the guard position, they can't afford to have Moss not playing consistently. If he's having a bad night, that just makes makes matters even worse because then you're asking Ellingson, in, in fairness to him, I mean, he should be probably an eight to 10 minute a game guy uh, that comes off, at, you know, in maybe zone bust or something like that. They're asking too much of him and he's out of position. So, um, you know, that's rough on him. And Macy Daly just hasn't played much. He's going to need some time to, to, you know, get more comfortable out there. But it's just not yeah. a good situation right now. And, you know, I asked Fran on Monday's uh, teleconference about Connor's return and, you know, it, it got it was worse than they originally expected. He spent a couple of days in the hospital. He's lost a bunch of weight. Um, so you're looking at maybe the middle of December before they can even get him back. Um, and even then, it's going to take him some time to get himself back into shape. And then Fran said, you know, at some point you, you get past a, a certain date, you have to wonder if it's worth playing him this year. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't see these backcourt issues solving, you know, sorting themselves out anytime soon. I mean, even if Connor can go, he's – I mean, and I'm not saying this to slight him. You know, I, I've never felt that he was a Big Ten point guard, and I, 
and I just don't. Never thought that he would be. And there's an opportunity that he that he could be and prove me wrong. I hope that he does. I was wrong about Jordan Bohannon for crying out loud. So I've, I've got no axe to grind. I want him to do the the best that he can, and I hope that I'm wrong about it. But he's not the cavalry, and the cavalry, and um, I, I just. So yeah, I I don't think El, I don't think Ellingson will be back, but they know they get the obligatory six four kid that is uh, strictly a shooter coming in again next year with CJ Frederick. Now that's probably not fair to Frederick, and maybe I'm a little, uh, you know, a little pessimistic at this point in time. But they, I don't know how many times I've said this in the last five years. Fran Fran McCaffrey had far better guard guard play at Siena than he's had at Iowa. And it's not because he hasn't gone and tried to get good guards, but maybe he's placed too many eggs in the baskets of four-star point guards when, you know, Northern Iowa's backcourt is, you know, maybe just as capable, if not more so, than Iowa. You don't you don't necessarily have to try to go for the four star kids all the time because you're finishing as a runner up and then you're and then you're falling back to a Christian Williams who wasn't a point guard necessarily, didn't project at one, it was a project, and Macy Daly, who is also a project, a late bloomer. So these are the guys that you're taking as fallbacks that are big time developmental risks that aren't likely going to deliver dividends for you until two to three years years in your program and and Williams is already gone and yeah does Daly have some upside sure but there's no guarantee that he'll get there and they can't afford it that this this Iowa roster this year's Iowa roster right now through seven games looks like horrible planning in my opinion it looks like bad bad roster management you have far too many big men and far too few guards yeah, and I don't think that was the plan. I think it's just the way things worked out um, in terms of uh, scholarship distribution and who they were able to get and who they weren't able to you get. You can't take the best player available. It's not like the NFL draft board. It seems like he's done that. That's for the exactly most part. what he's done. And I think it, it's okay when you have you know a certain matchups you can get away with that. But if the other team has strong guard play, you're just toast. And one thing I think that Connor can bring, and I agree with you, I don't think he's a he and Jordan are not pure traditional point guards. Right. They're not guys that can dri- break people down off the dribble. They're not guys that can pressure, you know, apply on ball pressure defensively. But Connor knows the offense. He's a good passer, and I think he can get Jordan off the ball a little bit more, where they can run him off some more screens and maybe get him open for some more shots. Because in that second half last night, he was trying to play point guard and get himself open for threes, and it was a disaster. Yeah, it was, and that is probably going to see more of that. I mean, look, I look at a. I mean, I guess Ahmad Wagner had offers from Texas Tech, Toledo. Minnesota, but that was when Minnesota was really scuffling. Kent State, Bucknell. I like him. He's a fantastic athlete. He's just incredibly limited from an offensive skill standpoint. And he's the kind of player that you say, okay, we'll bring him in. We'll take a chance on him. And he's like your, you know, your 11th or 12th guy on your team. But at Iowa, he's a starter. Um, Macy Daly is another guy. You know what? He's 17 years old. We feel like he's going to grow into this. We feel like we can develop him, and he has enormous upside potential. So we'll take a chance on him. And if Wagner's your 11th guy, then Macy's your 12th guy. But no, he's not. 
He's playing 20-some minutes because Iowa has nothing, uh, no depth in the backcourt. And I, I mean, I love a lot of the, I love Cook, I love Garza, I love Nunji. Heck, I I think Ryan Creener showed a lot in this summer in Germany in the early season, but in, and he's waned a little bit. Cordell Pemsel showed a lot last year, but he's not confident right now. He missed four or five bunnies last night. It's just, it's like a quilt made out of old blue jeans right now. You can make a quilt out of it, but it's not necessarily going to keep you warm all winter long because it it just doesn't have any stuffing in it. I'll stop with that analogy now because that didn't seem like it was going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bear looked Bear looked. He's uh, rusty. rusty. Yeah, yeah, rusty last night. But hopefully, he's a versatile enough guy that hopefully he and, and he plays defense. Um, and he's and he. His hustle and, and, you know, his energy is infectious, and hopefully that will help them a little bit. But unless they can work out a trade with somebody, and that, unless unless they change the rules of college basketball, this would be a good this would be a good uh, setup though for them to trade a couple bigs or a big to get another guard. But they they can't do that, and uh, I don't know. I mean, he's still playing a lot of guys. Still, um, it still seems like he's trying to figure out how to you know, patch that gene quilt together um, to, to make, you know, figure out these rotations, but there's just no flow right now. There wasn't really a flow in any of those no. games in, in the Cayman islands. They, they were fortunate in that third game that they were able to, you know, Bohannon and, and cook just took over, but um, most it looks nights, like pickup league, Rob. Yeah, it does. It looks like, you know, um, it looks like pickup over at the, at the field house. It, it does. It just simply does. And um, I had an interesting conversation this morning on the phone with somebody who I'm not going to describe them, but just trust me, I wouldn't bring this person's opinion up if I didn't place an incredible degree of value on it. He said the same thing. He's like, this just looks like pickup. And every, everything that we've talked about there, you know, we're not the only ones that are having these concerns. So I think they'll probably, and you know, I feel bad being so critical going down the list of, of some players and some shortcomings because I root for every one of these kids. I want to see them all do extremely well. I have nothing against any. I hope Brady Ellingson comes out and hits eight, three pointers and people can say, John, shut up, you idiot. And I'll gladly say, Hey, that's great. Um, you know, basketball is just a more intimate sport than football. For one, I mean, you see their faces on TV. I mean, you, you know, basketball players are the most visibly recognizable people on most college campuses uh, at the Power Five level. Now, you know, maybe in the SEC that's a little bit different, but in the Big Ten, I think so. I think they're because in football you got a helmet on, and very rarely do you get shown with the helmet off, and when you do, it's fleeting. But with basketball players, over the course of three to four years, you get hundreds if not thousands of visual impressions of their faces so it's just a far more intimate experience as a fan and there's you know the far fewer players to have to keep track of so maybe that's a, a part of the reason why you kind of go down and pick it apart anyway but by and large i'm not wanting to sit here and rail on the shortcomings of players as if it's some type of criticism of them the coaches who brought them all together and the coach is ultimately responsible for, you know, making that quilt have a little stuffing in it. And this one's just not going to have it 
for another year. And I again, I, I think that Brady probably won't be around next year. And I think that at least one of the forwards won't. And there's a couple scholarships for you for some guards at the end of the year if you can find a grad transfer or a JUCO. What's your confidence level in that happening? I mean, we've been in this place before in in April where, you know, they've – and it's been Macy Daly or who else have they brought in in the spring? I'm talking about somebody that's like, again, either a grad transfer or a JUCO player. And, you know, I guess it was – Trey Dickerson came from JUCO, right? Um, or, would, or was he a late addition – I think I, I can't keep track of where the heck that kid went. I think he, came, I think he came here from a JUCO. He's at Georgetown now. Dude gets around. So he came to Iowa from a JUCO. Was there one year transferred to was it North Dakota State? South Dakota. South. Okay, one of the Dakotas, and then as a graduate transfer, he's at Georgetown. Played Correct. for Patrick, Patrick Ewing. Ewing. <laughs> what a freaking story! Yeah, he's had. Uh, he's definitely gotten around. Um, but Bryce Cartwright uh, was, you know, that was, you brought him up earlier. That was a really good get, but they've tried graduate transfers. They have, they've had kids on campus. I can't think of their names. Now there's a kid, I think at Creighton, um, I'm trying to think of the, the different kids, but they've they've gone for graduate transfers and come up empty too. Okay. Um, I'm What's wondering that? if it's not better to start earlier in the process. Start now. Right. I agree. Start establishing relationships now. Get your coaches out, talking to guys and things like that. Because you know what? Say there's two scholarships open up, all right? What's the downside of not filling them? Yule's gone, so now that's 12. Say, say, Say two guys aren't back. Now we're at 10. You're bringing in Frederick and, and, um, oh gosh, the the kid from uh, Muscatine. We can't. Now you're back to 12, man. You know, there's 12. You're already playing a, a too big of a rotation anyway. So there's absolutely no downside. I think you want to – I think that one of the issues that – and you touched on this earlier is having balance in the classes. That seems like there's – like last year there was one senior, right, in Jock? Yes. Oh, and Dale Jones was a – Dale Jones was sent packing basically. Yeah, so you had Nunji um, and Garza fill their spots. Right. And now this year you've only got Dom as a senior. And, like and then Williams see. left, so that that's why right. they offered Frederick the scholarship along with Wieskamp. So then so then the who's next year? You got Wagner, Bear, Bear. That's it. That's it. Okay. Two more. Um, Unless yeah, and somebody I, leaves. Now, they've gone hard in that 19 class. I mean the the kid from Bettendorf, DJ Carton, the point guard. He's a must get. Yeah, he is. I, if they can't get him, that's really going to be there's going to be a backlash on on Fran if he can't get that kid because um, he's passed on the kid from Des Moines. Is it North? Um, there's a point guard from Des Moines North um, who's a pretty good player. He's also going to be. He's also a junior this year. Um, his name escapes me too. And he that passed will, on the kid from uh, the C- the Cedar Falls area. Green. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. By by some services, a top hundred point guard. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe he was maybe he was destined for Northern Iowa with his dad being there anyway. True. He passed on some other big schools, but um, you know, even somebody and I know this is somebody that wanted to play here, <clears throat> but if you think about him being on this year's team, Wyatt Lowhouse. Wyatt Lowhouse. Yep, I thought about that today. 
I mean, you take yeah. him right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a debate. You take him right now. Yep. Tough as nails guard who, yeah, he's not a, se- a se- exceptional athlete. He's not overly skilled, but I, you watch that kid just bust it night in and night out. And he's a good defensive player. Um, you yeah. take you take Troy Skinner on this team right now, and he wasn't like a great break-you-down athlete, but he was competent in running the system. I tell you what, I, I think that I, mean, I, th- I think they need to go zone. I think they need to quit playing man-to-man and go zone the rest of the year because a it will help Bohannon a little bit. It will help you know it will help him with his legs because you you just don't have to work as hard on zone as you do in man-to-man. And B, it will help them exclusively practice zone in practice so they can become more proficient at zone when they play it. Because when they go zone right now, they can't rebound out of a zone to save their lives. It's just terrible movement. It it stinks right now, to be quite honest. Yeah, it, it it looks like what you would expect to see in, like, September. And they return a lot of guys that played last year. Now, still, I mean, we're talking about Bohannon, Moss, Cook, Garza, Daly, Nunji, Creener, and Pemsel. Eight players who played last night are freshmen or sophomores. Eight. Right. So we're st- we're still talking about a pretty young team here. Um, and maybe they were a little ahead of the curve last year. I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah. Fran was asked about the zone on Monday, and I got the sense that he's he wants to play man. I don't think he's going to give. I want to have hair on my head. He's gonna. I don't think he's going to give in yet. I think until his hand is forced, and by then, like you said, it's going to be too late. They won't feel comfortable with it. It'll be too much into the season. Uh, Their confidence could be shaken. I just think I agree with you. I think they need to put more time into that zone, and as big as they are, they should be able to rebound out of a zone. You just find a body and put it on them. Yeah, that that is actually something that, and most people would say exactly what you're saying, and I'm not saying you're wrong. It's a little. I just think it's a little harder to rebound out of a zone because you got to oh, find you, you got to find that body. It's not definitely. just like turning around with a guy in your butt when you're playing man. You got to go find that body, or you've got to get comfortable how to jump in space to get that ball. And it's just a different thing. And you know, watching Doctor Tom Doctor Tom's teams do that for so many years, I think a Doctor Tom type of approach for this year: full court pressure. Um, with the big man, you've got so many forwards. Let your forwards be up there on the point and then fall back into his own. Um, I don't know. They're not getting get much out of the press either. No, they're not. They're just getting tired out of the press. Yeah, and or the other team's getting in numbers. They're going the other way. And, and you know, in, in to, to um, ex, expand on the, on the rebounding thing, if you watch Syracuse, which is a really good 2-3 zone, matchup zone, they're active. And when you're active, you're usually near somebody that you can put a body on in a zone defense. Right. Iowa is slow to the man. They're slow on rotations. And usually there's one or two guys that are in, in no man's land, and that opens up re- offensive rebounds for the other team. So if you're going to play zone, you need to be active and you need to have – you need to be in the area of another uh, – you know, an opposing player, and too often they're not. Indeed. Anything else that uh, we haven't? No, this has got this whole podcast has got me depressed. Now <laughs> we're talking, <laughs> talking about the football teams, uh, you know, shortcomings this year, and 
the basketball season's already over and we haven't even come to December yet. Well, it's not over yet. No. Well, we'll know a lot this next stretch here. I mean, they've got Penn State at home Saturday. They, they're they at Indiana, who's not very good on Monday. Um, and then they go to Iowa State a week from uh, tomorrow, which would be Thursday, December 7th. Um, yeah, they, a, could, they could be sitting 2-0 and in Big Ten a week from now, Rob. And, and you know, if they, yeah, if they can do that and, well, and the, limp the, in. Yeah, then they have Michigan at home and Ohio State at home the start of January. Mm-hmm. So... Because it's probably going to take twelve Big Ten wins now for them to get in the tournament, and I, I you know, I had wow. them, t- I had them twenty-one and ten, and as a nine or a ten seed, so I thought that they were maybe slightly better than a bubble team to begin with. I just feel like that margin for error has evaporated. Can they run the table in the rest of the non-conference? No. Let's see. I was- How do you feel at Hilton? At Iowa State, I don't, I don't know. I'll be there, and hopefully this time I'll be more aware of the students that are going to. Well, hopefully Iowa wins, and then I don't have to worry about them rushing the floor and, you know, Randy Peterson breaking his leg. But the last time I was there shooting photos, they just came over the top of me. So I'm going to be more aware, and that's a nasty environment to play in as you're getting. Hey, why don't, why don't you wear when you go there? Why don't you wear a I'm John Miller T-shirt? <laughs> yeah. I'm with, I'm with Miller. Yeah, that's a bad idea. And I haven't even been trolling him for like a year and a half, and it's and it's still, I got a lot of bad will built. No, I mean, but you know, another another bad matchup, a team yeah. that is guard dominated, bad matchup. You know, and, I, I went on I went on with Ken Miller yesterday uh, on Monday or whenever Tuesday, whenever that game was, and he said, "Hey, what do you think of the Virginia Tech? I think they're going to lose by fifteen or more." So I, it's not like I didn't think the outcome was going to be it was a bad matchup. It's just how it happened was disheartening. Yeah, and that's that's like we talked about, you know, at the top of the podcast. I had Iowa being seven and five this year in football, but the ugliness of some of those games—Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue—it when you actually see the seven and five play out, or you see last night's Virginia Tech game play out, it, it leaves a mark. It's a you know, even though your expectations are. You know, the bar's not very high. Your expectations are lower. Still, when you watch it play out, especially if it's worse than you thought it was going to be, that is more disconcerting. See, I can sound like a total hypocrite because in football, I actually, if Iowa plays too near below whatever my expectations are, I usually sit pretty well with my expectations. Now, I will say that the, the way in which they beat Ohio State gave me some optimism that they could finish the year with nine or eight wins, and they didn't. They won seven, but seven is still more than the six I anticipated. And I and I and my mind tends to focus on the positive things that I saw during the season versus the negative. Now, here I am seven games into a basketball team a season, and they're already beneath my expectations, and I probably exhibited far more... Um, passion in my voice in this podcast tonight than I did it probably any of my football podcasts this year. Um, and maybe that's just the nature of the, the bat. I can sit there and watch a basketball game, Rob, and swear under my breath 20, 30 times and just get so frustrated. But in football, dude, you wouldn't even know that my pulse doesn't go above, I don't know, 70. It's just different. It's a different, it's a different fan experience for me. 
and I, I sense that I don't know if this was for you, but just more from the you know the fans that I talked to or or people on the message board. I think people looked at this basketball season as kind of a um, they were looking at this basketball season as the football season was going on, thinking, okay, maybe football's a year away, but basketball this winter is going to be you know yep. we're, we're, you know we're going to enjoy this winter, and for it to start this way. I think is uh, disheartening for folks. Last night was the first game that was on television. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Iowa basketball. And good night now. And then they sucked people in with that first half that was, you know, they played really well in that first half. I'm sitting there in my mind going, okay, maybe the Cayman saying what maybe maybe, I would, maybe it's just when you play in a hotel or a high school gym. All right, they're you know they're actually executing pretty good. This looks good. They're getting some high low action. The refs are kind of screwing them. Pencils missed four laps. All right, they're tied. Eh, then depression sets in. That was uh, yeah. Garza and Cook being in foul trouble didn't help matters. Last thing from me, I'm so tired of Franz benching players in the first half when they get two <laughs> fouls. You're automatically making your player play fouled out minutes for the game. Garza goes to the bench with just over four minutes played. He doesn't play again. So in the second half, it would be stupid to play him physically more than 15 minutes because of a conditioning aspect. So the most minutes he's going to get in this game now is 19. And for him, that's probably about six, seven, or eight less than you want him out there. You're already basically playing him foul out minutes. I hate it. I hate it, Rob. I don't like it either. And for me, I can understand it in certain situations. Like we talked about this team. If Bohannon picks up a couple quick ones, you got to think to yourself, man, you know, I, I don't know. You got to at least take him out for a while. I don't know if you take him out for the whole half, but your depth is so small. You know, so your bench is so short in the backcourt that you have to be a little bit more careful there. In terms of Garza, if he picks, he ends up picking up his third, you're deep in the front court. So roll the dice and let the kid maybe get into a flow a little bit, you know, because once you took him out last night and he wasn't in the, you know, he sat whatever it was. What did he sit, 16 minutes or something mm -hmm. in that first half? I mean, mm -hmm. when he came back in the second, he just never got into a flow. And he had a couple bad ways, four points or something like that. So, yeah, it's – I just think you need to have – instead of it just being a hard, fast rule, maybe be able to, you know, go by feel a little bit in games and kind of situational things instead of it just being so black and white. Well, the good but news is – Having said that, he ain't changing, and he's not going to zone defense either. I know. <laughs> the good news is, Rob, is, is – Starting about next Friday, December 7th, it looks extremely cold for the upper Midwest, the Ohio Valley, and the East Coast. And that actually brings a smile to my face. Um, you guys. I appreciate that as I'm carrying the camera equipment from the dental lot into Carver Hawkeye Arena in sub zero temperatures. Well, except for that part. Um, <laughs> it's good for the day job when you guys are freezing cold. And it looks like it could be cold for like from the like the 8th, 9th, 10th, all the way through the new year. So uh, enjoy December. The cold I can deal with, the snow I'd rather not. I, I'm down, the snow blowing, shoveling stuff, that's, I'm over that. I don't even own a shovel anymore. 
Well, if you're ever if you ever <laughs> in need of, uh, you know, get your getting to your roots, no, you can just come and no. help me shovel my no, no. driveway out. I, I cut down two forty foot trees, the tall trees this weekend. I cut them up with my chainsaw. I hauled them off all by myself. I'm good. I'm getting enough outdoor activity, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of it. All right, Rob, that was fun. Uh, hope we didn't depress all y'all out there too much. But next week uh, we'll talk about the bowl. Where yes. going. Let's do that. Um, your prediction? I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Music City. Yeah, that's what I wrote Sunday. I think that's and and it's based solely on selfishness, and that's where I want them to go. And I think that's where most of the fans want them to go. There'd be fifteen thousand Iowa fans who go to that game. How many do you think go to the Holiday Bowl? Eight, nine. Pinstripe. Three. Yeah. Pin- a lot of those people will probably be out there. Yeah, they'll be know. alums for sure. And then the Foster Farms? Um, only credentialed media. <laughs> yeah. It ain't cheap in New York or in, in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Those would just be two really tough locations for Iowa fans. No doubt. No doubt about it. All right, man. Good talking to you. Thanks again to our sponsors, Exile Brewing Company, Iowa Pork Producers, and Heartland Flagpoles and Flags. Check out heartlandflags.com, their new and improved website, won't you? We will talk to you soon.